Blog Talk Radio. Good morning out there in Internet Radio Land. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio's Off the Shelf for this Saturday, the Saturday before Thanksgiving. Can you all believe the the major holidays here in the U.S. are coming up, and they're coming up fast. So I want to welcome you all again to Off the Shelf this Saturday, November the 17th. The year has flown by so fast. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us. As I always tell you, it is an absolute joy, and I truly mean that, having you here with us. For those of you who are loyal listeners, we are going into our ninth year. I can hardly believe we've been on the air this long. I want to thank you for being with us this many, many years as our listener base just continues to grow. For those of you, it might be your first time coming over to Off the Shelf. I want to introduce myself. I'm your host, Denise Turney, and as I always say, I'm coming to you live from the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and the 76ers won last night. They beat the Utah Jazz, so congratulations to the 76ers. And again, I want to thank you for your support, and I encourage you, don't let another day go by without picking up a copy of Love Pour Over Me. You're going to get inspiration. You're going to get. You're going to see how complicated relationships unfold, and you're going to come away with a new understanding about love itself. And you can pick up a copy of Love Pour Over Me at any bookseller, online or offline, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Google, uh, Ingram, if you don't see it on the bookshelves in the bookstore, just ask the clerk for it, and they can order it for you because it's carried by the largest book distributors in the world. Again, it's an e-book. It's in print. And in any of those two formats that you want it, you can get a copy of Love Pour Over Me. And the lowest price I've seen for e-book, it's about a 400-page novel, is $3.03, which I think is a good deal. Uh, again, I encourage you to get a copy of Love Pour Over Me today. And now let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest. And our special guest is someone who has been here with us before, as our last week guest was. And these are these are prolific writers. They just keep writing and coming out with new books. So we have them back on our show. Our guests enjoy them. So we, we have them on to, to give you another treat as you can learn more about what they're doing since the last time when they were here. And today's guest is Omega Keys. She is the author of the books, Can You Keep a Secret?, Seduction.com, Passionate Playmates, Honey, Fantasy Girls Collection, Rise and Fall of a Track Star, and Single Black and Government Owned. I know she would absolutely love it. If you visit her online right now, even as you listen to the rest of the interview, as you get to know more about her and you can go over to her website and check out her book excerpts, she is at www.omegakeys.com, and that's O-M-E-G-I-A-K-E-E-Y-S.com. I always want to put an E after the end of the Y, but it's not. Again, it's O-M-E-G-I-A-K-E-E-Y-S.com. Welcome to Off the Shelf, Omega. And am I saying your name right? <laughs> yes, ma'am, you are. Okay. Thank you for having me, and congratulations on nine years. That's a long time. Yes, it is, and it, it it came around so funny. I actually reached out to a, a radio station owner to request an interview to discuss my first book, Portia, which came out in '98. And he said, "Why don't you just do do your own show?" <laughs> I'm telling you, that's how I got started. 
It never was oh, in my mind wow. to do a radio show. It just it just came on this that just that odd and that quickly. I got to tell you, we were talking a little bit to our off-the-shelf listeners. Omega and I were talking a little bit before the show went live about the, the hustle and the bustle, getting out there and getting the word out about your books. And for those our listeners here off-the-shelf who might be small business owners who have other products other than books, whatever you do, you know, you got to get the word out about your product because if people don't know about it, they can't support it. And even when they do learn about it, I heard that it takes about ten or more times for somebody to see your product before they would even consider buying it. So you have to keep staying out in front of people over and over and over. That said, Omega, you are one busy lady. We were talking about traveling up and down the road, book conferences and, and different book events. I want to ask you that said, and I want to talk a little bit about the travel and what you get get out of it, what other writers who are listening can get out of going to different events. Do you generally, because you've got a lot of books, you've got a lot of books, you've got at least six or seven books out. Do you generally write and publish a new book every single year? Um, Actually, I have ten books now. I mean, Wow. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Sometimes I, I do. I normally put out two a year, and wow. what I've been doing now, I do the nonfiction. I put out a nonfiction book, and then I also put out one of my erotic novels too. So there are two different types I put out now within the most recent years during the same type of the year. Oh my goodness! I oh my gosh! So you is is, is your full time job? Book writing, because if you tell me no, I'm gonna really be like, oh, this woman is amazing. <laughs> well, it it is, but I also do a lot of helping other authors. You know, a lot of other authors that want to self-publish, I edit, I do um, formatting for them, and then I also help with a little cover design as well. So I do both, but my main focus is writing. Okay, it's the novel writing. The, the, the traveling up, and I like to give tips and advice to our listeners that they can take advantage of in their their own personal lives. It, it, it's something that makes the show valuable to our listeners. When we were talking about going to the book conferences and the book festivals, and I would I used to would go to a lot of cultural festivals. I mean, I was burning up the East Coast, man, <laughs> on planes and driving, and you you name it. I was, and and that was a way that I noticed. You can sell a lot of books when you get out there, and people can see you face to face. I don't know what what it it does that that, that causes people to want to go out and buy your book, whether they get it while you're there at the event, or go back later when you hand out bookmarks and, and flyers and go back later. But I noticed that my book sales were way up when I would hit the road. Have you noticed the same thing? And what kind of advice would you give to writers? Who are looking for some events they can go to that they could they could get a lot of book sales rather than just sitting at a booth saying hello to people as they walk by. Well, one of the things I mean, you have to get out there and people have to know you. There are so many books out there, so you have to get out there and you have to let people know you and see you to even know the book is out there. That's what boosts your sales. But if you're at a book event, come stand up, come from behind the table. You have to bring people to you because I've been at plenty of book festivals where the people in the booth next to me are not getting sales and I'm getting lots of sales and it's but it's about the presentation. Mm-hmm. They're sitting back with their arms crossed upset while I'm sitting over there smiling, hello, how you doing and bringing them to me. 
that makes a big difference. But for new authors that are starting out, I would not advise, you know, jumping out towards the big, the huge book festivals with just one book. I mean, I have a lot of books, so I don't mind going to those book festivals, but you need to have something to show. But if you do want to go to the book fe- book festival, go with another author and don't, don't let it be an author with the same genre book that you have because then you'll be in competition. Okay. But well, go with somebody and feed off of each other. That is excellent advice. Go with someone who has a book in it. In it. Or if you do fiction, they do nonfiction. It's somebody with a genre. If you do mystery, they do romance. If you do sci-fi, they might do do, do mystery. But you do d- different genres. And you can split the cost. Mm-hmm. Uh, the travel cost. You can split the travel cost. You can split the cost of a booth. That is excellent, excellent advice. Great, great advice. Thanks for sharing that. Was there an event in your life? For our listeners who were unable to catch you on the first show, was there an event in your life that caused you to know, "Hey, I'm a writer"? And if so, can you share that event with our off-the-shelf listeners? My event was actually some. I had actually written like my first book and like just had the manuscript laying around on my desk at work, you know, while I was in the military. And I just had another um, sergeant. She came over and she grabbed it off my desk while I was away. And, like, she read it and actually loved it. And, you know, she actually is the one who submitted my first book. I did not submit my first book because I just just wrote, I mean, I just wrote it just to get it out of my head. I never thought that I would be this author. But it's like once that book went to the publisher and I got it back and it was in my hands, that's when the bug hit me and I started just cranking out books (laughs) left and right (laughs) and I have not been able to stop. Oh, my God. Isn't that something how things happen? I was telling you uh, off the shelf got launched. Some things just come together. And somebody else might come in and help us. There was another writer who said uh, a friend dared her to enter a writing contest. And that's how her writing career jumped off. It's just odd how things just naturally come together. It's Honey, Honey, the Fantasy Girls Collection. Is that a novel, novella? Or a short, a short story, and can you tell our listeners just briefly what the book is about? Well, Honey is actually part of Erotic Moments: Love, Lust, and Desire. Erotic Moments is a full book that I um, that was released um, this year as well. But Honey was to be part of it, but I wrote Honey way before then okay. um, for another for a contest. I wrote it, and then I decided I didn't want to submit it to the contest. So. Oh. Okay. I wanted to keep it to myself. But, honey, it's just, you know, it's just a little fantasy of a woman. She's going to see this guy. She's a call girl. She's she's going to see this guy, but she's a call girl because, you know, she has to be, not because she wants to be, because she's Brazilian and she's here illegally, and she's basically, you know, she's being forced to do it. Mm-hmm. But yet in the midst of that, she still finds, you know, that, okay, well, once I'm in this room, I can control what's going on. Okay. Yeah. So that's what her little. This is just a short story. Oh, uh, okay. So it, it, it is a short story. Um, and I wanted to ask you, uh, uh, is she? When I did my research for the for the interviews, is she a slow learner when it comes to figuring out that sex won't make a man love her, or she's just doing this for money? For her, it's just she, a money thing. 
she's just doing it for money because she has to pay off the person that brought her to the country, brought her to the United uh. States, so she can be free. That's all it's about. She's going in. She's doing this. You know, within the story, you know, she realizes that the guy actually kind of like her, but you know, she could she can't be with them because she just wants she has to go and be on to the next so she can be free. Okay. Oh, okay. Interesting. Now, see, that's interesting. I'm glad we went on and explored it a little further. That's very interesting. She's not just a call girl. And this is what you get sometimes when you visit visit Booth's, author's Booth's. You can find out more about the story before you uh, purchase the book to see if you really, really want it. But initially it seems like, oh, it's a book about a call girl. Then as we continue to discuss it, she's trying to pay off the, someone who helped uh, uh, get her into the country That makes it even more intriguing To me anyway I'm not sure if it does to our other listeners Your book's Keeping Secrets Is this based on real experiences You either had yourself or observed Well Can you keep a secret It came out I was going through a divorce At the time And so the emotions And everything that she's going through That's all like me feeding into it But it was just like you know that was like my alternate reality for me to release all that negative energy, but she just took everything to the complete extreme. Okay. Where she, you know, she completely, you know, switched up her career. You know, she it was about self exploration because she was the the mother that did everything for her kids and for her husband, and then realizes that it really don't matter. That wasn't going to keep him around anyway. So she went off to find herself. And in finding herself, yes, she did um, internet dating and things like that, but the whole point was she needed to figure out who she was first in order for her to be happy. All that going out, everything that glitters isn't gold, going out, sleeping with everybody is not going to make you happy. No. Yeah, so, that, 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 that comes from within. Did you find that when you, and, and there's, there's one or, maybe one or two other authors that we've interviewed that said this, they did this similar to what you did. The character is not them, but they were going through something, and they they were able to release a lot of emotions or work through experiences themselves as they developed this character. At, being that you did that as you were going through a divorce, did you find, or and when you hear from readers, do you find that they tell you that the main character causes them to feel a lot of emotion or that the main character, because you were going through a high high emotional time, do you find that that readers tell you that the book is packed with emotion? Uh, yes, I, I do. I have some women, like, um, because I give, with, with with that book, I have it written in first person. So, you, I, you know, as she's talking to people, you're also getting the thoughts that she's actually having in her head. And I get people that say, oh, my God, that's exactly what I've been thinking when people are talking to me. Well, when they're doing this, because you can't say those things out loud, but you feel all of her emotion behind it as well. And then putting it so. in first person is, is, first person is good because it lets the reader get closer to the character. I mean, very, very close. But it's also challenging because you can only write, the story from the the main character's viewpoint and what they see. So you can't write about something that grandma's doing in Texas. If the main character is in New Jersey, they'd have to be in Texas to 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 write about grandma's experience. So it's kind of limiting, but I think it brings the the it, it does let the readers get a lot closer uh to the characters. When did Keeping Secrets day debut? 
When did when did the uh, when did this book come out? I think can you keep it secret? That was the end of two thousand nine going into two thousand ten. Okay, okay. Wanna talk next about Rise and Fall of the Track Star, but I also want to make sure I touch on what is your latest book? You said you have ten out there. What is your the, what is it? The latest book, um the non fiction one, single black and government owned, and then the erotic one is called Erotic Moments. That's a um that's an anthology that I wrote with other authors authors. So those are the two those came out back to back. Wow. I wanna definitely talk about both of those. Government owned I already had down to talk about, but I want to talk about your latest book so our listeners can go out and get those. Now, Rise and Fall of Track Star, of course, I'm interested in that because I used to run track myself. And that's based on your personal life experiences. Back to emotion, which I think the more emotion you put in a book, the more you can catch that reader's attention. For you, how emotional was it to pen the book? And what what ages were you... And like so, you, did you start when you were like ten, and then go to when you were twenty-five in the book? What ages are you when you capture these experiences in Rise and Fall of a Track Star? From Rise and Fall, I was eight. It was from eight through twenty-one because I picked back up with single black and government on at twenty-one when I joined the military. So I oh, took okay. you from I was a child through college. Okay. Okay. And what are some of the um, what what did you learn while you competed? And for our listeners, I know Omega went to the um, it was it I can't think of the name of it. There was some type of a uh, Pan Am Games, which were really yes, big ma'am. years ago. Which were really and congratulations again. They were really big years ago. An Olympic hopeful, so she was uh, uh, um, on her way toward becoming a, a professional uh, track track runner. What did you learn uh, uh, during the ups and downs? And everybody has ups and downs. I don't care. We always think if I switch over to that career, I won't have those downs. Uh, yes, you will. What did you learn doing the ups and downs that you went through while you were in track that you continue to benefit from today? Track let me know that no matter what, that I can keep moving forward and that on any given day, somebody can have a bad day. It's how you handle it and move on from everything. That's what I got from track because track was my outlet because I was going, rise and fall of track star, I was going through it. That's why it's called rise and fall because <laughs> I was wow. going through it. On the outside, everybody thought that, you know, I was little Miss Perfect. Things were just handed to me. And, you know, as I was rising in my track career, going to the Pan Am Games, qualifying for the Olympics, I was overcoming um being a victim of sexual assault, which caused me to drink all the time. I was basically a, I don't want to say alcoholic, but I was, basically that's what I was during that time because I was battling trying to get past all that. But as soon as I stepped on that track field and got in them starting blocks, all that went away. But as soon as I stopped, it all came back. Wow. Even as you ran track and it didn't, it didn't, um, the drinking, it didn't bother your performance, it sounds like. It didn't bother your performance no. at all. Yeah, it didn't It didn't bother my performance, and people didn't really even notice, I, I mean, my drinking because you're in college, and so everybody's drinking, but I had it so bad that I would be back, like, after the track meet, I'd be back on the, the buses or vans, whatever we were in, with some of my other teammates who were 
who did go on to be professional athletes. I would be on the bus with them, and we would be back there drinking. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and then, on on you the know, ride home. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know what? And this kind of leads into my next question. I wanted to ask you if you saw ESPN's 3030 story on Carl Lewis and Ben Johnson. Yes. Okay. Because I, 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 I wasn't a huge fan of Carl Lewis, but I can tell you I do admire what he did. There's only two people like at the Olympics winning the uh, gold medal in four different events. Today, sprinters run the 100 meters, and generally that's it, or they'll run the 100 and the 200 and maybe a relay. But he did the 100, the 200, the long jump, he ran relays. He was just amazing from that standpoint. And he he is the one who helped take track and field from amateur because everybody was saying, oh, it's just amateurs, amateur sport. They shouldn't they don't need to get paid into a professional. Carl Lewis did that, and that was a hard role for him. But I highly commend him for that. But I'm asking you if you saw the show because, again, I ran track, and I was shocked at how many guys in the 100-meter Olympics that it was, I forget the year it was, that took steroids. And I, I, I was telling my son, I said, man, Juicin is really big in track and field. Is it that big based on what you saw? Would you have been shocked to know that I think only two guys didn't take steroids that were in that Olympics? Would you be shocked with, or would you say, oh, no, I already knew that? Well, I agree. I mean, Though I was in college, I still ran on the professional level. I was at those meets with Carl Lewis and Ben Johnson. I've, I've met them before, and I've been around the stuff, but it's so weird because at that now I'm not shocked, but at my age back then, being around all of it, and as much as we got drug tested, I was oblivious to it. I just, you know, got out there and I ran, but... One thing that made me realize that, yes, I believe it is because, I mean, one of one of my biggest people is Marion Jones. I used to beat her in college. Oh, yeah. And then, all of su- and then all of a sudden, as soon as she gets out of college, she's a star in track. And I'm like, honey, I was walking you down. You don't you don't just change like that. So I always was suspect of her. Wow. Wow. But, and I didn't, I didn't want to believe it for nothing in the world. But the funny thing about, and I don't want to talk, talk so much about steroids because we – it's a literary show, but the funny thing is, uh, uh, so many people do it. Sometimes I wonder why did they zone in on this person? They usually zone in on the person with the biggest name, which I think is not is not right. I don't think that's right. Particularly when I watched that thirty thirty, I said a lot of these guys that was taking steroids, they never reached a, a Ben Johnson, Carl Lewis level. Mm-hmm. They never even reached that no. level, and they were taking them. So they they didn't really get slammed as hard. And Ben Johnson got really slammed, but he wasn't the only one taking him. His name was just bigger. He was just, yes, and I find that in sports that they go after that bigger name, and I don't think that that is, that's not equitable. That, to me, is not fair. If you're going to want to shut it down, go after everybody. Don't just go after the person whose name is bigger in the media. One last question on track. And I don't know why something keeps pushing me to ask you this, but have you ever thought about running Masters track and field? You know, that was a track was a wonderful time in my life. I walked away from it for for a, a particular reason. So, I mean, afterwards I joined the military, so I just ran there and there. So, no, I never thought about going back and and okay. doing it because. Me going back and running track, it also takes me back into that time frame, that uh, mindset of what 
what everything else was going along with. You can't have one without the other. Okay, okay, okay. And I don't want to be back in a headspace. I've grown and I'm past all that. And I'm, I'm glad I, I did it, but it was too much going on back then for me. Okay, okay. And, 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 and congratulations on on continuing to move forward. Now I want to talk about um, one of your other novels, Can You Keep a Secret? How long were Monica and her husband married? And I just uh, and this happens to a lot of people, men and women. I know a guy in my family this happened to. But how long were Monica and her husband married before Monica came home from work and found that her husband was in an affair? That I think they were married fourteen or sixteen years. Oh my gosh! Wow! Wow! And and do you think more married people than we might imagine? Uh. Think about stepping out in a in a relationship. I I I try not to think like that, but you know, for me writing that book, I found out that a lot, you know, actually do, and it's just it's just crazy. I mean, I wrote it because I got accused of it, though I was in I was in training and I wasn't cheating, but I got accused of it because I wasn't a big communicator, and that's my fault. Oh, okay. So you okay. know, I don't. I'm. I don't think everybody does it, but you know, if you have a lack of communication, I think it can make people believe that you are. Okay. You know, okay. you need to communicate, and then you know, if you're sending off signals that you know are making your partner, this person that you love and that you want to be with, if you're sending out these crazy signals, and you're not conscious of that, you you can't be mad if somebody's you know accusing you of these things. Wow, you know what? You bring up a good point, and I'm sure you you address that in in your writings. Not just what we say, but because we're like spiritual, energetic beings, you can pick up stuff from people, even though it doesn't come out of their mouth. And then, like you said, they might take that, and then they they'll say, "Well, you're doing this," or "I can't trust you," or whatever. And there's nothing you said; it's just a vibe that they picked mm-hmm. up from you. Why does Monica respond to discovering? Her husband's having an affair the way she does. Why, you know, you would think that most people would either be extremely angry and want to just tear everything up or just break down and just sob, sob for days and weeks and, and maybe find themselves crying even for months. Why do you, why do you, did you take her as a character and have her respond to discovering her husband was having an affair the way that she does? Well, I I took her the opposite of me because I'm a because you know not with my husband but at one point in my life I did walk in I mean I actually talk about it in single black and government on I did walk in on someone actually in the act I'm a I'm a fighter and I'm not too proud of that but Monica I wanted her to be opposite of that she's more of a mousy person I wanted her to go and figure out who she was that's why I took her down the road because she needed to figure out who she was first outside of that. And sometimes it takes something so horrendous to push you towards that. Now, she didn't go about everything the best way, but it's about, you know, that self-discovery that she she had to go through that to figure out, oh, I wasn't missing nothing. I need to do this. Wow. And, and for our listeners, she became a, a cam girl on the Internet. And, uh-huh. and, 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 and that's, is that somewhat like a call girl or is like a, it's oh, kind of no, like a no, visual no, no, no. phone service. 
Yeah, it's it's not a call girl. It's just a um, it's virtual. Like it's it's no different than some of these women that get up on Facebook and post these pictures of themselves nude and all that stuff. Except she's just doing it. Somebody's paying her to see her naked. And for her, it was just more of the rush of things. She was dealing with the man who didn't see her. You know, to put her down. You know, you're not beautiful. You're not this. You're not that. So you know, she got on there and the, because the guys called her beautiful. Oh, you're beautiful, you're this, you're that. She got addicted to that. It wasn't the money. It was uh, the man calling her, she's beautiful, she's pretty. Wow. You know, you, and I, that's I, what made her go back to it. I, the way you, you were able to look in the human motivations as a writer, that is so good. That's a very good skill that you have. Because Monica, she's also a human resource manager. Mm-hmm. And so she has to know the employment law. She has to know she's putting her career on the line, but she still takes this risk. She Her self-esteem must have been battered, I mean, really her banged up. Her self-esteem was terrible. It was terrible. But she had to go through the journey to, to figure it out. And her being a human resources manager, that's why ultimately, that's why she's trying to keep this secret. Yeah. From them, but you know, my books, if, if people haven't figured out my writing yet, my books don't always end up with the happy, happy. So, <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you know, the realism to... is if you do, if you do wrong, you're going to get it back because I'm a big, big believer in karma. If you, if you put yourself out there and do mm. things, oh, it's going to come back on you. So, yeah, you know what? And, and eventually, and sometimes it, it almost seems, I've seen certain things happen in the news where it looks like somebody was getting away, and they might have done something for 10, 15, 20 years, and bam, and when it hits, it hits hard. It hits hard. Mm-hmm. Yes, and it, so you think, oh, I'm getting away, I'm getting away, I'm getting away. And then when that thing, it's almost like life just gives you, gives you enough room to hang yourself. And then, and then when it hits, like I said, you could be splashed all over the media, all over the nation, and if you had stopped sooner, it would have just been maybe talking to one or two people, but now everybody mm-hmm. knows what you were doing. So that can happen too. Erotic moments. Who is the who? Tell us about some of the main characters and erotic moments. What are their personalities like? What is it about them that helps make this story so engaging? Well, um, it's different short stories in it, but from some of my short stories, I played around and went a little bit um, different with it. I have like this this one couple. Um, you you think that the this lady that she's all about you know going out and being sexy for some guy that she just met and it's really her husband so you know I focus on more so the actual relationships of people being together because yes I talk about you know sexuality and things like that but I'm all for be that way with the person you're with and the person that you love please them yes yes. Now, did you go out? Or you did you publish the anthology? Did you did you go out to other writers and 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 request submissions for the anthology, or you just submitted it as a part of a larger project? Oh no 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 no! I have um, it was two other people that like they they had asked me a while ago like, hey, if you ever want to collaborate, let me know. And the one was um Red Snapper, and the other one was um Elena Brown. Mm-hmm. So they were just two people that um, they they weren't as well known as my book. So I was like, you know, why not? I I like their I seen their works and I liked it. So you know, I checked first just to make sure my name wouldn't be going down. 
So I, I like their writing. It, it just fit in perfectly with it. Um, actually, one of my favorite stories is um, by Elena Brown. It's Chemistry 101. Okay. About how how you have, you know, some of these professors out here that, oh, they sleep with their students, you know, things like that. But she puts a huge twist on it. So it's a, it's a great story, and it's hilarious at the same time because, you know, you, you're getting what you put out. Yeah. Now, now, what would you say about anthology? You've written nonfiction. We want to talk about your nonfiction book next. You've written nonfiction. You've written certainly a lot of fiction. You've written short stories, and the anthology erotic moments. Would you find for an author that being in an anthology is a, helps them get more, even more exposure than maybe coming out with a a novel, a, 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 just a single novel? Is it a way to get more exposure because? Do anthologies have, based on your experience, have you found that they're easier to market and sell than a single novel? Because the reader's getting several different stories by several different authors in an anthology. I found um, I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because what I've noticed with the um, with the anthology anthologies reach people that normally are not readers. That they ah. just, they need something really quick and they really need. It. I mean, people have bought the erotic moments for me that I never even thought would pick up a book. Wow! At all. Like you know, this this one girl that I've known for a while. I mean, she she didn't graduate from high school. She didn't do anything, and I was out and about, and she was like, "Well, I just want this book because it's a bunch of short stories." But it just shocked me because she just did not seem like this. Wow. Person. I've known her. I've known this lady for years. Uh-huh. And never once has she ever read a book, not wanted anything, but because it was an anthology, and I had I read a little story about of it as well at the event. She just wanted the book, but I mean I've noticed that like when I've done um, some of the conferences, people they just want that quick. They want something quick sometimes. You know, you mm. have those that are dedicated to the long stories, but people that like the anthologies are people that normally do not read. They want to just get this short. You know, quick look. Oh, okay. I can put it down and come back to it later. Wow, that's interesting. It's not overwhelming to them. Yes, very interesting. I never thought of it. I know that there are authors, and they tell me that it's it's it has been helpful to their careers. Depending on who you're, the other authors you're in an anthology with. Some people put out holiday anthologies, like they might put out an anthology of just uh, uh, Christmas time romance stories or, or et cetera, and then they'll, they'll market those. But, yeah, I, I've heard people say that. I've been a part of one anthology. No, actually two anthologies. Uh, but um, that's interesting uh, what you just said, that some people don't, they just want a short story, and they don't want maybe short story, uh, uh, a compilation of short stories by the same author, but by different writers. I myself enjoy anthologies. I don't read a lot of them, but I do enjoy them. Omega, why did you decide to sit down and write? And is this your only nonfiction book? Why did you sit down and write Single Black and Government Owned? And what a title. <laughs> well, it's because it's the follow-up to Rise and Fall of a Track of a track Star. Okay, I, I took you through me going through the drinking, and then it's okay. I'm dealing with this stuff now as an adult. I joined the military. I have a child, which was a result of the rate when I joined the military. So that's where the title Single Black and Government On is trying to battle with um, me having a son that was a product of rape, but nobody knew it, trying trying to deal with that, 
trying to, you know, be a mother and take care of him. And then while joining the military, you know, you're still dealing with a lot of um, racism during that time when I joined. So, you know, even though it was the 90s. No, it was the 90s. I joined the military in 1997, right after I um, left college. Okay. And it was still a lot of, you know, the racism is it's completely different because, okay, I was an intelligence analyst, and, like, let's say I was in school for this, and, you know, it's a small small field. Intel is a small field, and it's a high turnover rate because a lot of people don't make it through because it's extensive training. But every time I scored high on a test, and me being the only black female in the class, like some of my white counterparts would look at me like, she got 100%? She her? Oh, yeah. And, and they would, yeah. like, literally be so upset because I outscored them. Wow. And it had wow. nothing to do with, you know, I had a college degree or anything, and they were just straight out of high school. It had nothing to do with that. It had simply, simple to do with, you know, my skin tone. And then once I finished all the training and progressed in my military career, some of the brick walls I was hitting was, you know, because, of, you know, female and being a minority, but as I'm trying to deal with that, I'm also trying to deal with, you know, how do I strategically place myself so I won't be too far home, so away from home so I can take care of my son and dealing with my crazy family dynamics that I had back home. I have a very loving, very caring mother who is, is there for me through all things, but I also have an older sister who is the exact opposite of all that. It's like uh... they go out their way to do things, but, you know, you know, just because I was going through something in my life, she was going through some things, too. Okay. And it's crazy because some people do things that they think they're doing these things to try to help you. In their mind, yeah. they're helping you, but in reality, they're they're making stumbling blocks and everything for you. In my sister's eyes, it you know, we I have older aunts and things that, you know, they were on drugs and they, like, just dropped their kids off on the doorstep and you never hear wow. from them again. Wow. They treated th- they treated those people better than they treated me for going off to the military. Wow. Yeah. You it's know like, what? <laughs> yeah. Are you? I was going to ask you if you're from a big family, and I think what happens sometimes. One thing I've I've come to learn learn as I've gotten older. I think all of us look at look through the lens at the world through our own perceptions, and a lot of times what people say and do to us has nothing to do with us, nothing. Mm-hmm. It, it's exactly. just what's going on inside of them. When, you, when you're young, you don't know that. So everything can hurt so much. You don't know that everything that people say, do, feel, it's it's what's going on inside of them, their perceptions, their thoughts about things. It has nothing to do with you. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. nothing. Absolutely nothing, but it takes a, a little bit of living to uh, to come to realize that. Are you from a big family? I know you mentioned a sister. Yes, but... I'm, I am from a huge family. Um, my grandmother had 20 kids and my mother Ooh. had seven. So, <laughs> yes, I'm from a very large family. And, oh you know, God. we always, every summer, we were always back down south with my grandmother. Kids. Yes, ma'am. Oh, my God. I couldn't imagine. Yeah. <laughs> oh my but God! I got one son. Just, I've got one son. I, oh, that's geez. just how it was. Oh. It was the it was the old South. That's just yeah. you know how how oh. it was. 
And, you know, but I I don't know any other way. So to me, it's weird when I run into people that are like, oh, it's just three of us, three of y'all. What's wrong with you? But, you know. Because <laughs> <laughs> there were five like, of us, but, but my grandparents, they were like 12, 11, 12 of them. But, that, I mean, people did have but big families. And we had a neighbor when we lived in Dayton. It were 21 kids. And it was just, mm-hmm. I, I, it was just like, wow, man. Oh, my God. Of course, they don't all live at home. When you got 21 kids, there's kids out of the house and little kids in the house. You know, because. Uh, not, when, not when it came to my grandmama. Not oh, the, really? The grown folks, no, the grown folks up until, up until my grandmother rested her soul this past February. No, they were still grown folks living there. Oh, wow. My my aunts and uncles and everything. Some people, I mean, that's just how it is in certain areas. It was a very small community um, where they live, and most of the community was there. Now, you grew up, so did you grow up in the South? You don't have a Southern accent at all. I'm I'm between both. I was the only one of my mother's kids actually born in Indiana, but I okay. spent a lot of my time down South. Every summer I went down South to work the field, so. And we're, we're down South? Where down south was this? It's a little bitty small place called Rondo, population like 197 people, but it's right on the the Mississippi and Mississippi oh. border. But like literally, if you walk across the street, you're in Mississippi because that's where they built a little casino at now. That you just walk on over, there it is. Wow! And you worked fields when you were a kid. You are. This is like I'm. I'm keep saying wow. Oh my goodness! I didn't know that people would still do that in like the eighties. That they just—I don't know why—it just amazes me. I don't know why, but it does. Can you tell us somebody? Go ahead. No, I was just saying. I mean, I did. If you, my grandmama's motto was, if you can drag a sack, you can put that sucker on your back and go make some money. <laughs> What are some of the what are some of the topics that you cover in single black and government owned? And it takes off, like you said, it picks up where the rise and fall of a track star stops. Because the rise and fall of a track star, you go from when you're eight. This is your story. It goes from when you're, you're eight to twenty-one, and tr- rise and fall of a track star, and then you pick up from there into single black and government owned. You go from twenty-one to what age in that? And do you start touching on when you became a writer? In in single black and government. Yeah, I took from single black and government on. I went to twenty one up until the exact moment when I stopped writing that book, which was oh, at the okay. end of last year. I wow, took it okay. all the way into that moment. So I cover how I became a writer. I cover different crazy relationships that I was in because I didn't know who I was as a woman because I was still battling with being a victim of sexual assault. Which up until I wrote this book. I never considered that I was a victim. Wow. Oh, my gosh. For real? No, oh my I, I, never, I never looked at it that way. I was like, this happened to me, and I'm past it. But until you actually face it, yes. you will never get past it. So I had to actually face it. I faced, I faced it years ago, which by the time I turned to 30, I was willing to deal with it, which also that was part of the problem with my marriage because, I was still battling that little, yeah. you know, demon. And so I touch on the relationships and how people deal with people that were, 
I want men and women to understand. I want women to understand, like, you, you're you not alone in this. Thing, things happen. You're not alone in it, but you, you got to, you know, let it go so you can reclaim yourself. And then for men, for men to recognize these signs and symptoms in women as well, because a woman is not always going to sit there and tell you, yeah, you know, I was raped, because I didn't. Yeah, and the, most you know, people don't want to, even if, the, most people don't even want to say that they were molested. It's not something... No. It's not something you want to broadcast unless you unless somebody else brings it up, and then you might say, "Well, that happened to me too." But we don't like to feel ostracized or or different. No. So most times, no, you're not going to say that. I think it's good that you point that out. Uh, in that in in that I was on Facebook yesterday, somebody was doing a radio show, and they were talking about the subtle signs of of of, of sexual abuse because a lot of people might have been abused verbally. And they said that's one where a lot of people don't even know they suffered years of verbal abuse, and it's just damaged their self-esteem. They don't even mm-hmm. know it. And then when somebody goes to talk about it, they're like, oh, my God, that happened to me. And some people don't really know what a, a, a sexual abuse is. And then when they hear somebody talk about it, they're like, oh, my God, that happened to me. And that you, you're right. It does cause, like that radio show said, it will cause problems in every area of your life. Yeah, it, it causes it. And one of the other things I, I wanted to touch on was because it's the perception that people get of you be, because of it. Like when sometimes when people do find out about it, some people ask the craziest questions. Why didn't you go to the police? Why didn't you do this? Why are you doing that? You're asking me to think rationally on something that was irrational that happened to me as a teenager. You're, yes. you're you're expecting this teenager to act like an adult. And you know what? With you, those, you can't do that. <laughs> and, and you know what? With those questions, I actually myself was molested when I was nine. But when, when somebody asks those kind of questions, it almost makes you it feel like you did something wrong. Exactly. But that's why you, I touch on it. Yes. It's like but you I, did something I was wrong. also molested at eight. That's why I started the book at eight. Oh, okay. I was molested by an uncle, so that's why I started there at that point and then it, took it forward. And and unfortunately, and it's good when people share their story because the the percentages of people that this happens to is way up there. I don't think they mm-hmm. will ever know for sure, but I'm told for girls, it's I've heard somewhere from one in four to one in five. That's a lot of women. That's a whole lot of women. So for, for our community, I don't put anything past it because, and this is one of the other things, we will sit there and be mad. At, we, I'm just talking about our our community in general. We'll sit there and be mad at a little girl for getting molested by the uncle than being mad at the uncle. Yeah. Well, well that, that, that that's because, you know what I think it is, I, 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 and I've lived through that myself, is to some degree, not a, not a large degree, but... People wish it hadn't happened at all, and mm-hmm. I don't. I, they wish it hadn't happened at all. So it almost becomes if you hadn't been there as a exactly. little kid, you it wouldn't have happened. I, I wish this hadn't happened at all. I don't want this stain on our family. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it happens to somebody else's family, but I don't want this stain on our family. And if you hadn't been there, then it would that stain wouldn't be there. And that's a backwards way of looking at it. That's that's even more. Victim, that's more abuse. This victimization over and over. Yes. But yeah, but it, it, it's 
you know, the point is address the stuff. Know that if you're doing, I mean, because now one of the things I do now when I see older women talking, and they make these little comments. I'd be like, okay, what is really what is wrong with you that you're talking about this teenage girl? What is mm. wrong with you? Because there's nothing wrong with this little girl. What's wrong with you? It, what internally is wrong with you? Did you feel like you got to go out your way to talk about this little girl? Right. That's and I, a victim. I think, yes, and that that is unfortunate. And again, I think a lot of that comes down to people wish that it hadn't happened at all, and so. The, the, and it is backwards why people don't get, and I think it happens in every case, just like with the Penn State thing. Yes, you get upset mm-hmm. with the coach, but I think people also get upset with the children because they don't mm, want it yes, to have happened. Do. So it's almost At like all, if you yeah. hadn't been there, run or screamed or done something, yeah. we don't want this to have you happened. Done, so. You should have done this. Yes. You should have done that. And you can't, different, different people react to different things during different periods of their life. It's just like, okay, look at look at a car accident, for example. People get into a car accident, and one person, you know, if you would have caught them two days before, they would have just, okay, oh, just take my information, go out. And then, but on this given day, that person gets out and beat the heck out the other person <laughs> because of something else that was going on with them. Yeah. So, you know, you could take that same person and give them ten different, the same scenario ten times, and it's not going to be the same reaction every single time. Right, right. And it's this type of insight that you have that allows you to be a great writer. I'm telling you, is this is these type of life experiences and some incredibly, incredibly, incredibly unfortunate that they I don't it gives writers a, a person you don't you don't certainly nobody wants anything like that ever to happen to anybody. No. But there's you can still take some of our, our even more painful experiences. And use them to help others, and also when as a writer to express and speak about events that somebody who would never talk about it can read a book and help themselves work through something that they would never ever even speak about. But they, as they see it unfolding in a story, it can help them to work through it silently. I want I want to also ask you if you could share some tips and advice. Uh, something that I think that one of the more challenging things to be is a single mother. And I was watching some animal shows with my son. The, the, even the, in the animal world, the single moms have it rough. Mm-hmm. Some tips and advice for single women who are raising children solo so that they can still have a balanced social life themselves and how they can help their children, raise their children to be productive human beings. Well, first, for the mother's portion, you are not wrong for going out, furthering your education, getting up, going to work every day. If you have to work two jobs, you are not being a bad parent for being away from your child and doing these things. But also, if your child is in school, make sure you utilize the resources at the school, work with the school to help you, you know, do everything to take um, care of your children. My my boys, they're all spread out. I have one that's about to be 20, one 13, and one 6. But, you know, for different time periods, there's always different things out there. But my biggest struggle, of course, was with my oldest son because I was still a child myself. Mm-hmm. But with my but with my team that I have now, is 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 a completely different experience. 
So, you know, I, I just now, this is my second year out the military, so it's easier for me to be there you know, for him more so than I was then. But there's still nothing wrong. You do what you got to do to take care of your kids. Right. Sitting on, sitting on welfare is not it unless you have a valid excuse like you got laid off from your job or something like that. Being on welfare is the easy way. You want the hard way. Go get a job. Go work and do the things that you need to do. And that also is going to make your child look at you in a different yes, light. Your child yes. will respect you more when you're going out and you're doing these things more so than the mama that's at home collecting food and stamps. I'm not talking about people that just truly need to be on welfare just for that short time to get over the hump. I'm talking about people that I've seen on a regular basis, you know, in back home where mm-hmm. I'm from, that, you know, when I when I left, you know, for to go to college, you were on welfare, 20 years later, you're wow. still on welfare. And wow. these are the people that I'm speaking of. And you you put this generational curse on your children because they grow up, they get on welfare, and they don't yeah. want to do anything. So when you go out and you do, you dare to be different, you dare to, to go and take the hard route, ooh, I want to have this job, I want to work this job, I want to go for this promotion. When you show your child that, you show your child that they can, that they can be more. And I say this because, Yes, I was raised by a woman with seven kids, but my mother always worked. Yeah. She always had a job. She always was a husband. Even when she got laid off from the hospital, my mama hustled Avon like it was nobody's business. Wow. And she dragged me right along with her to <laughs> these people's houses doing this stuff. But you, but I saw in her eyes that this is what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to be acceptable going down to the welfare office getting food stamps. So to wow. me, even though I had a child at 17 because of the rape, for me to ever get food stamps or anything like that, that was just, that cut me to the core. So I knew that I had to do different things, and that's why when I when I graduated from um, college, you know, everybody thinks you're supposed to have this big, um, nice dream. My first job after college was at Walmart. And I was like, I have a degree, and I'm at Walmart. Oh, no, I, I couldn't make it. <laughs> So that's why I joined the military, and like I mean, I, I take you back, and I and I describe all that exactly why I joined the military to show people. You know, some people, especially our community, we have a problem with people joining the military. They're whether you collect food stamps and join the military, really. It is, it's just it's just insane. So I give people that background to know why I made that decision to leave my child with my mother and go to the military and go become somebody that my child can look up and be proud of. Now, how many years were you in the service? I did almost 14 years. Wow. Okay. Okay. I I, I was in the Navy, but little little under under four four years. Single, black, and government-owned. and You know, the title really doesn't, to me, I don't know if other readers have told you, you I, and I'm glad we talked. I've talked about single, black, and government-owned here on Off the Shelf. There's so much in your book. It, uh, the, the title makes it seem like it maybe is talking about just a government job that you had, but it's so much other, so many other things covered in, Single, black, and government-owned, and anybody raising children by themselves, anybody who's suffered any type of sexual abuse, anybody who's been in the military or worked as a, a, a for the government as a civil service worker, could appreciate, as could other readers, single, black, and government-owned. I want to ask you, as we come down to like the last four minutes, are you working on any new material 
You put out about two books a year, you say. And if so, can you give us a glimpse into what you're working on and when it might be available on the market? Oh, yes. I have some books that are going to come out in the spring, and one of them is a relationship book. It's called It's Not You, It's Me, because I've decided to write that one because of a lot of the crazy relationships I've been in, a lot of the ones that I've seen my friends be in, but, like, sometimes we're a lot of self-saboteurs. That's mm-hmm. why it's called It's Not You, It's Me, because you got to work on you first before you can get to the rest of it. And yeah. I'm showing different aspects of relationships for things that, you know, uh, one of my biggest things, I call, call it the Cinderella syndrome, mm-hmm. that, you know, you think that the world is about to be handed to you on a silver platter and you're going to do all this. And, and go off with your Prince Charming. I was like, but what they forgot to tell you, well, what happens after Cinderella got home? She had to get her a job. She had to learn to take care of this <laughs> husband. She had to learn how to communicate with him. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Oh, God, it's Cinderella syndrome. Oh, God. So true, the, so true. Yeah. That's that, that, that thing. Yeah, those, those stories we people read when we, we were kids. It's like, hey, somebody somebody didn't tell the truth here. Mm-hmm. Uh, they brainwash you with those stories. Yes. So that's one. You said you had another book coming out as well? Yeah. The other one is um, a part two to Erotic Moments because the first one was Erotic Moments, Love, Lesson, Desire. So now I'm finishing up Erotic Moments, Sex in the Age of Technology. And this one focuses more so on, you know, you being with your mate, but the different ways you can use technology to make your bond stronger. Okay, okay. And and where can, tell our listeners here at Off the Shelf a, a couple of places where they can get your books. Also let us know if your books are available in print and ebook. Uh All my books are available in print and in ebook format, and you can get them anywhere on any online book um, retailers like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, most of the libraries across the U.S and almost anywhere, or you can, I, I just prefer to get off the website. I don't like when people buy the books directly from me because then it cuts back on my inventory for book events. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> you mess. You mess. Oh, goodness. Oh, Mia. Yeah, but she will accept. She will accept it. She will be grateful. But, yeah, yes, any of the online or offline retailers, oh, my goodness. Well, if somebody wanted to have you come and speak at an organization, could be a women's event, could be a church, could be a book club event. What, how would they contact you? They can go directly to my website. That's O-K-E-E-Y-S dot com. And I have the contact um, form on there that they can fill out because I do a lot of women's empowerment speaking at churches and at um, schools as well. So I, that's like you just hit a spot that I love to do. <laughs> okay. So you can reach out to Omega. At her website, again, if you want her to come and speak at your events, and as you can tell, she is a wonderful speaker. She has a wonderful sense of humor and has a lot of experiences that she can tap into to help her connect with a wide range of audience members. I know she's on Facebook. Are you also on Twitter and any other social media networks? Yes, ma'am. I'm on Twitter up under O-Keys, LinkedIn up under Omega Keys, and I think I'm on Pinterest, but I really haven't figured that one out all the way yet. <laughs> okay, 
Okay. So we have had the pleasure of, and, and, and it's been an absolute pleasure, she's also a sorer of mine, of speaking and connecting with Omega Keys, and she is the author of some of her books. She's written 10 books. Can You Keep a Secret, Seduction.com, Passionate Playmates. She's in the anthology Erotic Moments, which she's doing a follow-up to. Honey, um, Rise and Fall of a Track Star, Single Black and Government Owned. And she's also working on a new book, It's Not You, It's Me. You can check her out online at OmegaKeys.com, O-M-E-G-I-A-K-E-E-Y-S.com. Please go out and get a copy of Omega Keys books and support her. And please also pick up a copy of Love Pour Over Me so you can read it and enjoy it. These these are stories that that, that you will enjoy. Uh, it's not so much more so for the money, uh, at, least, at least I can tell you, but the story is so good that I want you to be able to enjoy the story. So please support Omega Keys and then get a copy of Love Pour Over Me. See you again next Saturday, and happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Happy, happy Thanksgiving, because when we come back next Saturday, Thanksgiving will be gone. We'll be heading toward Christmas. So please come back next Saturday, 11 o'clock, where we'll bring you another phenomenal guest. Tell your colleagues, book lovers, family, friends, tune in to Off the Shelf, 11 o'clock in the morning, Saturdays. And thank you, thank you to our many, many listeners. Thank you, Amiga, for your time. As I always tell you, you're so incredibly valued. You are just awesome, awesome. You're just amazing. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. Bye for now. I'll shoot you an email. Okay, bye-bye.